Well, uh, we believe in listening prayer around here at Southland, don't we? And there's, a, there's many verses that we could look at. There's just a little sampling. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Or uh, take a look at Acts 16. We don't usually look at that one, but Acts 16 from verses 6 to 9, verse 6, 6 to 9 is what you have. Um, and it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Notice the guidance there. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't uh, let them. Again, do you see the guidance there? So it says, so we passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia uh, standing and begging, come over and help us. And then in verse 10 it says, after Paul received the vision, we got ready at once, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guidance again. The whole thing's about guidance of the Spirit, isn't it? We can hear his voice. Um, Chris was quoting, and he was memorizing with you uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, and he will what? What's the word? Direct your paths. Or we could go to John chapter 10. My sheep, what? Hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And we, there are just a myriad of passages of Scripture that indicate that we can hear the voice of the living God. What a, what a privilege, what a tremendous heritage, what a gift from the Lord, isn't it? That he isn't just some, uh, some theory or idea. I love that. But there are parameters that, that the Scriptures give us, some clear guidance as to how we hear his voice and, and how that how that works. And many churches have got into a lot of trouble, not only across Canada, and many have. But many churches have gotten trouble right through Latin America, and we're finding increasingly in, in churches all over the world. Because they haven't understood what the scripture was saying about God's voice and how that relates to other things that the scripture has to say. And so that's what we want to talk about. And so I've entitled it Balance and Listening for God's guidance. Listening for guidance must not replace number one, what? And I want you to preach to me, okay? So it must not replace what? Bible study, very good. Some who learn to hear God's voice don't want to read their Bibles. They'd rather just listen to God in prayer for guidance because that's really cool. You get a word, a thought, a picture, you know, prophetic word from somebody. And so then they neglect and they leave off what the scriptures are saying. Yet God has already spoken to us about many things that are his will in the Bible. Is that true? This is his will. He spoke these words, but these were recorded for all times. And so we can't just ignore what he has said uh, and was recorded. We have to listen to what that says as well. And that's important. 2 Timothy 3, 6, uh, 16 to 17 says, All Scripture is what? What's the word? God-breathed and is profitable for what? Teaching, then? Then? And then, finally? Training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, the Lord promises that if we follow his will and guidance in these things that he's already told, 
told us that we will already discover much success in life and in ministry. Joshua 1.8 says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate in it, how much? Day and night, so that you may be careful to uh, obey everything I've written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And uh, you know what I find interesting? If, if I say to people something about you should, have, you should spend daily time in the Word, they, they right away start thinking you're talking about legalism. But this verse is, says, how often should we meditate in the Word? Day and night. That sounds pretty daily to me, doesn't it? Does it to you? That's pretty daily. And... Um, that's what, uh, that's what God wrote. So there's a parameter there that we're beginning to see already. Yes, we're supposed to hear his voice in the moment, but we're supposed to also hear his voice already spoken and his spirit speaking through the word and making it living even in our, uh, our times. Now, that's what meditation is all about. Because when you ponder and you meditate, then the Spirit begins to take that word and he teaches you about and he reminds you of things and he applies it to you and does illumination and all those kinds of things. So the word is very, very important. We don't have to ask God about these matters. He's already told us. Then we're already following God's general and moral will for our lives. This is foundational for the second form of guidance. So this one... That this is guidance from God, is it? Yeah. And it is foundational for the second kind of guidance that God gives us. And the second kind of guidance that God offers to reveal is the specific guidance or specific will for our lives. And we're going to illustrate that in a minute. James referred to the specific will and guidance as wisdom in James chapter 1, 5. If any of you lacks, what's the word? Let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him, right? His specific will for us will never contradict God's general and moral will for our lives. Now, let's take an example of this. The Bible, uh, child raising, because so many of you are into bearing children, okay? And no wonder with our climate, right? <laughs> So, uh, we, we got to know, how are we going to raise children, correct? Does the, does the, has God already spoken about how to raise children, yes or no? Yeah, he has told us some things about raising kids. Here's a couple of examples. He says, he t uh, your parents, you're supposed to teach children God's ways. Parents, you're to discipline your children. Does the Bible say that? Yeah, and I've got the references right there, so the answer is yes. Parents are supposed to value their children. Is that true? Yes. Uh, we're supposed to do it. So there's a few things. There's more that we could say. They're not supposed to exasperate them. Fathers aren't supposed to, and, and so on and so forth. But here's some. And these are part of God's general will and guidance and apply to all parents for all time. Is that true? It applies to all parents for all time. But when we need specifics that are tailored for each child, 
now, now we've got a little bit of a problem because the, the question is, how do we di uh, teach those children? Or how are we going to discipline those children? Or how are we going to love those children? It tells us to do those three things, but now we need some specifics how to do it. And here's the problem we have it, because children are unique. Would you agree? You had kids, and, and you thought they were all the same, and they're not, are they? You're going, man, I treat them the same, and they, they're not the same. And you're absolutely right. I mean, they're different in gender and emotional temperament, inherited characteristics, mental aptitude, talents, likes, dislikes, and we could just go on and on and on. They are just completely different. For that, you and I need additional wisdom and guidance. That's what James 1 verse 5 is talking about. Think about uh, an example from the scripture. We have a story of Manoah and his nameless wife in Judges chapter 13. And, uh, and the angel of the Lord comes to the nameless wife and says, you're going to have a son and he's going to be the next judge of Israel. It's the same thing as saying he's going to be the prime minister of Canada. And Manoah goes, uh-oh, I don't know what to do. How do. What do I do with it? Now, he knows he's supposed to teach him about God's ways. That's, that's in the scripture. He had that already. He had, that's in, De in Deuteronomy. He knew that. Uh, he knows he's supposed to value them and he's supposed to discipline them and stuff. He knows that, but he doesn't know the specifics about how do you raise a prime minister? How do you get, one, uh, how do you get a son ready for that? And so he says in Judges chapter 13 8, uh, uh, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up uh, the boy who is to be born. And then God gave them specific instructions that pertained only to that one boy. Never before do you have some of those specifics. You know, he can't cut his hair and, and, uh, and he, can't, uh, he can't drink anything from the vine. can't partake of that. You know, those kinds of things. Have you ever done that with your kids? You're never ever allowed to cut your hair because God said, no, <laughs> you don't have it. It was a specific just for him. Isn't that interesting? Um, see, for the specifics, we, now we run into all kinds of, oh my goodness. Uh, how, I mean, if, you know, there's this general moral law, and we get it in one book like this, but can you imagine if, you, if God wrote down all the specifics that pertain to every possible different kind of scenario, you would have a Bible that would be 10 stories high. Is it true? So instead, he gives you the general law, the moral law, his will, his guidance, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit to show you how to direct that and apply that in the particular situations. Does that make sense? That's how he does it. Uh, I'm going to take a, uh, an example from our, our own life. Uh, and I didn't ask Stefan about this. Is it okay? Yeah, he said it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> they, were, uh, they were growing up and he was about four years old and we were trying to teach him uh, about God because that's what it says. You're supposed to do that. So we were having what we called family devotions and he, uh, he's the youngest uh, of the four and, and he was very fidgety and he had to move all the time. It was very, very difficult for him to sit. The others didn't have as much difficulty with it, but he had a lot of problem doing that. So we didn't know what to do, and we prayed about it, and then we discussed it. We 
decided we're going to do a little uh, do a little experiment. And we poured out all his uh, Lego building blocks, and we said, "Okay, we're going to let you put your building blocks together, and uh, see if you still listen." So I would talk, and then just in the middle of a sentence, I would just stop, just halfway through a sentence, and I would ask that little four-year-old, "What did Daddy just say?" And he would repeat it verbatim as he was building his blocks. He wouldn't even look at me. And we said, oh, God, that's a really neat idea. Now, I wish I, I would have learned how to apply the listening thing even more when I was younger. I could have done an even better job. But it's an example of how you can do that, right? And, uh, and, it, and that works. God's Spirit will never contradict His written word. Never. If you hear a voice that contradicts God's word, it's not God's voice. It may be your own heart uh, your own heart speaking, or the lusts of your own heart, or desires of your own heart speaking. James talks about that. Or it could be, even be the enemy or the devil speaking. Is that true, church? Yes. Yeah. This, and the Bible tells us that. Uh, and warns us about that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and, chapter, uh, and verse 3, and 1 Thessalonians 3, and so on and so forth. But here's a caution. A person who neglects to spend daily time reading and meditating on God's word opens themselves up to deception. Because he won't know how God operates, he won't understand the parameters, he won't understand the foundations of the specifics, and won't be able to recognize the voice. Because, because the voice comes on, in the spirit of a person in the form of thoughts most often. And so you won't be able to tell, is it God's voice, or is it the enemy's voice, or is it my own voice? But if you know his word, then you can tell who it is that's speaking. Amen? Amen. Because God never contradicts himself. Amen. Is that true? Amen. So that's very important. Having said that, I'm not saying that to safely hear God's voice, a person must know and understand and remember everything in the Bible. That's humanly impossible. And that's one of the reasons God gave us the Spirit to teach us and to remind us of everything He has said. So we have to do our best, our best to do it. Meditate, memorize, read daily, lots, ingest it. And then we got to depend on the Holy Spirit to remind us of things that He said. And does He do that often? You're praying and all say, boom, there comes a verse. Boom, there comes a story from the Bible or uh, whatever. And that's what he does. And that's what he said the counselor was sent for. So daily read, memorize scripture, and attend to the preaching of God's word. So the first thing is listening for guidance must not replace what? Here's the second thing that listening for guidance must not re uh, replace. And that is good counsel. Some are happy to hear God directly for guidance because they think this absolves them of a need to receive counsel from others. Not so. God designed it so that we'd have to get some of his guidance through others. Did you know that? That sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> it means we can't be self-sufficient. We actually need others. Every one of us does. We all have different gifts and strengths and experiences so we can all contribute to one another. Uh, Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, what does he do, church? Listens to advice. Listens to advice. That means we have to be teachable. Do you know what's another word for teachable? Humble. 
I often say to Fran, the characteristic that I look most for whenever I'm trying to choose a leader is if they are teachable. Because if they're teachable, they are humble. If they're not teachable, they're proud. You can't help a proud person no, much, no matter how many gifts they have. No matter how gifted they are, you can't help a person like that. And so it's a very, very important uh, one. Now, here's some ways that I uh, try to receive good counsel, and I'm sure you've got other ways. And maybe after the message, you'll come and share some, some ways, and I'll add them to my list here. But one of the things I do is I often run my ideas past friends. And I'll do it. And typically, this is how it goes. Honey, I've got this great idea. And she immediately responds with, no. no. <laughs> and then we work our way to, yes. Because if I can't convince her of the idea, I know there's something wrong with this presentation. And I got to go back to my, I got to go back to the drawing board and rethink this whole thing. And especially, I need lots of prayer. Here's another thing. When, when I moved here, uh, and we started here at Southland uh, 22 years ago, uh, within two months, within two months, I contacted a pastor from this region, and I said, can I take you out for coffee? And I took him out, and I had some questions for him. I did it several times throughout that year, a year and a half. Maybe it was even two years, I don't know. But it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't longer than that. And after that, I said to Fran, I think I have gleaned as much and, and tried to get as much out of that pastor as I can possibly get. And so then I went to prayer and I said, Lord, would you put another pastor on my heart, uh, the name of another pastor? And he put the name of a pastor that I'd never met. I'd just heard about him. And he was in, in Winnipeg. He was pastoring a large church at the time. And uh, I said, um, uh, I phoned him up and I said, I've, I've got some questions. Mind if I get, take 60 minutes of your time? And he said, absolutely. I came in, asked him a question, and I watched my watch so carefully. And I'll tell you when the second hand hit the on the hour, I just got up in the middle of a sentence and I said, thank you for your time. If I have another question, may I, may I come and talk to you again? And he said, yes. And so I did that for three and a half years till he moved from the city. Uh, it's important that we... Ask for advice and counsel. The scriptures tell us, they advise us on that. I, receive much, uh, I have, have received and continue to receive much wise counsel from staff, board, marketplace leaders, and friends. God will often use them to give me a twist in the way I view something or to offer a caution, a warning, or confirmation. Sometimes it's a, they go, oh, that's fantastic. And I go, I knew it. It's a confirmation. I've also received much counsel through conferences, seminars, books, and non-Christians who have expertise. And I never go to a meeting or weekend sermon without a pen and paper. Never. Now, some of you do it, you know, like this. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, but some way, and may maybe some of you got these incredible memories. I, I don't have that. But that's, that's the way I have to do it. Because when I'm going, I'm expecting to get something. Uh, which is why I'm willing to usually pay for breakfast, uh, because I'm hoping I'm going to get something. If I didn't get anything, then I just let the other person pay. <laughs> I learn from fools. Do you learn from fools? 
Oh, I do, and I do it intentionally. Have you? Uh, I, I don't like going to funerals. Uh, I can't say I like it. I don't, oh, you know, check Birchwood and say, oh, when's the next one? I'm going. <laughs> I, I don't do that. But when I go, I pay very close attention. I prefer not to officiate at a funeral. I don't like officiating at them. I prefer to listen at the funeral. And when I'm listening, I'm listening for myself. Um, I mean, we were just at one recently, uh, Eunice's mom. Oh my goodness, it was inspiring. Oh, we came out of there and I said, honey, I'm so glad I went to that funeral. And, and then I think about my own funeral. Do you, you do that? But sometimes I go to a funeral, it is so tragic, it is so sad. And I, and I listen to it and I hear some of the stories and I try to learn from that. We, we need to be teachable, amen? We, sh we, we need to be humble, always learning. I learn from younger people. Huh. Like 61. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I mean. My married kids, I learn from them. I do. Intentionally learn from them. I hate sometimes what I learn. I go, ah, oh, shoot. I wish I had known that. I would have done this different as a parent. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah. Uh, but I learned from it, and I keep saying, you know, if, if, if all once Sarah moment comes on Fran, then I would raise the kids different the next time. <laughs> There's a story behind that. It's found in the Bible. Anyway. And young people, let me tell you something. You should be doing the same thing from older people. Our culture glorifies and worships youth. I go to other cultures and it's exactly the flip side. Did you know that? Completely the flip side. And I, the, the, the distinction is notable uh, as I get off a plane. I mean, it happens immediately. But young people, this is what I want to say to you. Those that are younger, you should be getting advice from the older. You don't have to listen to it, but ask for it. And don't just tell them what you're going to do because they won't respond. Ask them what they think. Most of the cases they'll say, that's a great idea, if you're a godly person. But if you don't ask them, many of them will not tell you. But you got to ask. And that's uh, part of it. I had a young couple ask me for uh, advice just recently, and they were sitting in the service last night. I went up to them and I said, when I wrote this, I was thinking about you. And I did. I said, I admire you for that. Anyway, leaders often struggle with this. They think it's a sign of weakness. you got to be decisive. It's how they'll often frame it. But God designed you to... <laughs> listen to this. God designed it he designed you to be a few bricks short of a load. It's true. Turn to someone next to you and say, God designed you to be a few bricks short of a load so that you would need me. Go ahead, do it. All right, that's enough. And you can all, you have marriages that are in trouble now, you can see Tim after the service. Anyway, 
He did this so that you and I would need the advice and counsel of others. The weakness isn't in asking for wise counsel, as some leaders seem to think so. The weakness is in not understanding that you were designed to need the counsel of others. In fact, you need much counsel. Did you know that the scripture even says that? It comments on that and says, you and I need much counsel. How much counsel? Proverbs 11:14 says, in an abundance of counselors. It didn't say from a counselor. It said, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Life is much too short. I'm, I'm going I'm to start with a cliche, but I'm going to say something. I'm going to attach something to it. Life is much too short for you to try to learn it all by yourself and still accomplish what God set out for you to do. In other words, did you know that counsel is God's way of giving you a shortcut in life? Counsel is the shortcut so that you could accomplish everything that he intended for you to do in this life. I'm going to tell you something. If you're a person that's too proud to ask for advice, then you will never accomplish all that God intended for you to do. Because it's the shortcut. Think about that. And God designed it that way. God is often speaking to you through wise counsel. Don't ignore it. So, listening for guidance must not replace, number one, what? And number two, good counsel. Number three, common sense. Now, there are many examples of common sense. Things like hard work will yield better results than laziness. Is that common sense? Yeah. Treating others well will generally result in you being treated well. Poor financial management leads to poverty. Long exposure to the sun will damage your skin and may cause cancer. It's called common sense because it's a truth discovered by human beings through observation and then understood by most. So it becomes common knowledge or sense. Hence, common sense. Many such observations uh, made early in the history of the human race were recorded and included in the Bible, including some, of the, some on that list above. Three of, three of the four that I mentioned, you can actually find them in the Bible. Much of, and, and, uh, much, of, uh, much of that common sense or common knowledge is written where in the Bible? Yeah, exactly right. Proverbs, can you think of another book? I heard over there. Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes has a lot of it as well. And then it's obviously sprinkled in other places as well. Um, but it's important. See what Solomon said about this in Proverbs. He said, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned, for, uh, learned a lesson from what I saw. And notice what he said. I observed it and then I learned something from it. He's sitting back there like this, and he's observing, and he said, oh, so this is how life works. So if you do this, this is what happens. And then he recorded it. And um, some who hear God think they, they can suspend common sense. Not so. My son, what's the next word? Yeah, go ahead, just say it out. Preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them uh, out of your sight. They will be life for you and ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety 
and your foot will not stumble. In fact, we're exhorted to learn as much about the practical ways this world is designed to work and then live in harmony with these ways. And then we will be kept safely and protected from failure. Is that true? Yes or no? Yeah. Now, let's take an example. Let's flesh this out a little bit. Suppose, like, you wouldn't simply quit your job, pack up your family, drive into a city with no place to live, no money, no job, and then expect God to provide. Would you? <laughs> I can't believe it. You reacted exactly the same as the, as the two other services so far. I was hoping you would, and you did. You're going, uh-oh, now we got a problem. You're right, Ray, that makes no common sense. But that's exactly what you did. <laughs> Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now we've got a problem. You're right, so let's unpack that experience and learn from it. Number one, it only happened once. When we moved to... Ca <laughs> oh, the other two services did not do that. They did not laugh at me for that. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> so he only lost his common sense once. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Uh, when, we moved to, uh, when we moved to Calgary, uh, first I drove there by myself, five days, looked for a job. When I found it, came back, gave notice, took my beautiful bride and moved to Calgary. Now, is that common sense? Yes, okay, so one time. Number two. At times, God may choose to suspend his natural ways. And when God does that, it's called a? It's a miracle precisely because it is not common. If God did this all the time, then it would be common, and the commonness of it would make it a law and not a miracle. So why does God sometimes choose to suspend the natural way in which he works and do it in a non-natural way? And there's four, uh, four, you know, I'll just give four quick reasons why, why this can happen, just so you understand. To demonstrate himself so people will be saved. We see that throughout scriptures. He sometimes does that. Number two, to signify to God's people that his hand is on their leader, uh, which gives them some assurance. And Paul said that very thing in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed, uh, he was saying this about himself, among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And that's why so many miracles in the scriptures happened through leaders. Uh, for that reason. But here's the third one, to signify to the leader that God is with him, that gives, them, that gives the leader confidence, because the leader is just as scared as you are. And so when God demonstrates and does a miracle, that gives some confidence and assurance to the leader as well, that God is with him, and that he can trust God in this, and that he hasn't just come up with his brainwave himself. And the fourth reason that God uh, sometimes does that is to grow up. Uh, to stretch and grow a leader's faith for bigger assignments that are ahead, all right? And then third, God initiates these miracles, not we. Some people try to force God's hand in providing a miracle, and they call it stepping out by faith. God calls that testing the Lord your God. Remember when the devil came to Jesus and said, uh, you know, why don't, you know, since you're the son of God, why don't you demonstrate it uh, to everybody? Why don't you jump off the temple pinnacle the pinnacle of the temple, and, uh, and he quotes an Old Testament verse and says, the angels will, will catch you at the bottom and bury you up and nothing will happen to you and everybody will just say, you're amazing. 
And then Jesus quoted that passage. He answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. By the way, who was speaking there to Jesus? Satan. He speaks to us too. Which was the point that we were making before about why we need to know the word. And Jesus knew the word then and was able to counter that, right? So we can't f try to force God's hand like that. Why is that? Because God is not our servant. We are his servants. Is that true? In Titus 1.1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant of God. We are his servants, not the other way around. When we test the Lord in that way, he will not dignify our foolishness by performing a trick. That's not faith, that's presumption. And presumption makes God nauseous because it misrepresents who he is and who we are. Of course, nothing we've said prevents a child of God from asking for legitimate help, even if such help would require a miracle. Is that true? Yes. You're, I mean, somebody's dying or something, call the elders of the church. That's in James chapter 5 as well. Pray over them, anoint them with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, that kind of thing. Sometimes then God will do a miracle. We've seen that here. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Um, so we can always ask for that kind of a miracle. Always. God loves his children. But we're talking here about guidance and where a person just steps out foolishly and, and, uh, and then expects God to kind of save them and demonstrate himself. And God says, no, 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 you don't do that. Okay, so listening for guidance must not replace number one. Bible study. Listening for guidance must not replace what? What was it? Good counsel. And third, common sense. And now lastly, um, listening for guidance must not replace human authority. Some Christians cause division in the churches because they mistakenly think that because they heard something from God, they aren't required to submit to God's authority in their lives. Not so. Romans 13, 1-2, which speaks of the governing authorities in our land, says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. No amount of listening in prayer can overturn such a direct written command in Scripture. Is that true? For example, if you feel um, many years ago uh, uh, when I was flying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, um, I want you to talk to your boss about not flying on Sundays because we realized that really we didn't have to they could schedule us we could get all the work done uh, Mondays through Friday and that would allow me to be in church on Sunday but we were going seven days a week so one day as I was having a devos the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said go speak to your bosses about that oh I was nervous about it and we prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and I just thought this is not cool but I presented very humbly and said is there any way because we promise, me and my, uh, the other fellow is a new believer, and, and we, we want to go to church, and, 
and we can get it all done in those six days. And we will get it done, any chance we allow us to do it. Now, if he says, no, you're doing it on Sunday, what do you do? Well, think about this. God told me. But the boss said this. Now, in this case, he allowed it to be. But I was fully um, aware that he might not. Then we'd have to go with what he said, even though God said that. Is that true? You know, you want to start a ministry at work. And he says, no, you, you, you can't start a, a ministry. But, but, but the Lord told me. He says, you obey. You obey your human authorities. Is that true? You see, he said that actually here. He actually, you said, but he, he told me. Yeah, he told you and me that we also are to submit to our human authorities. Is that true? Yes or no? Yeah, he did. And so that's how we handle it. So how does it work in the church? Well, God also gave us authorities in the church whom we are to obey. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. But what if, I mean, yeah, okay, so that's what you said, God. But what if... God shows you something about, now in your ear, about the church, which the church isn't doing. What should you do in such a case? Suppose you've learned a new teaching from somewhere, or you gleaned it from your time with the Lord. What do you do? Or perhaps you received a prophetic word about others in the church, or about the church itself. What do you do? The question... The answer is actually very simple. Do you have permission? The same thing as with the civil authorities. Do you have permission? That's easy. Now, some will object and say, Oh my, you church leaders are so controlling. But it isn't about control. It's about order. It's about order. And I'm going to give you an illustration. I've used it here in the past, but quite a few years ago. And it's Grace Fast, because I think it's one of the best illustrations of it. Grace Fast. So I, st I started here 22 years ago, and, I was, uh, and shortly after I started, maybe within a year, I decided I was going to preach a series on the Holy Spirit. It was really quite funny, because I didn't know anything about him. But I was going to preach a whole series, and I think I must have gone like six weeks, and I preached everything that I could think of on the Holy Spirit. And Grace Fast and her family were in attendance, and she had already encountered the Holy Spirit and the revelatory gifts in the, at Bible college, and it was clear in the series that I hadn't. <laughs> you know, this is how it used to work. Uh, that was the, the gist of much of my message uh, series. I'm glad you all have memory loss, so you don't remember that. She thought to bring it up in conversation. In fact, uh, we were in the hospital. Fran was in the hospital in, at... Uh, at uh, St. Bonavis and Reg, who was dying of cancer. He was at the hospital at the same time. And even there, she had, an, uh, she had a thought at one point to tell her experience. And three, at three different occasions, the Holy Spirit just gave her a strong check in her spirit and said, zip your lip. And she couldn't share it. And she wanted to say, well, this is what happened to me. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let her. Now, uh, was Grace right in her beliefs? Yes or no, as it turned out? Yeah, uh, she also had a very humble spirit, very gracious spirit in the way she presented things. Grace always does. 
And uh, so she had the right belief and the right approach, and yet the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. And she didn't. And uh, she didn't talk to me. Guess what else she didn't do? She didn't talk to her cell group about it. She didn't talk to the prayer partners about it that she was leading. She didn't write the board proving her theological points. She didn't try to convince her friends. She just kept quiet. Or did she? There was somebody she was talking to about it. You know who it was? God. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed for us to understand what she had already experienced in the Holy Spirit. What she didn't know was that God was already guiding me in this. In fact, one day I called Grace to pass on a prayer request. I had no idea what she believed and her experience. And I said, I really am coming to a new understanding of what the, Holy, of what the Scripture is saying about the Holy Spirit. And I'm worried about what that's going to do in this church. It's going to cause explosion, division, da-da-da-da-da. Would you please pray? And this is confidential. Don't tell anybody. It's all quiet. And then she calmly says, well, can, would you allow me to share with you uh, my experience? Yeah, what are you talking about? And she goes ahead and tells me what she believes and what she experienced in Bible college. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I mean, I hired one of those. <laughs> and I didn't even know it. But you know what? It was exactly what I needed to hear right at that moment because I was wrestling. I had, I mean, I had studied and studied. I'd prayed and prayed. I'd talked with Fran. She'd gone from no to yes. I mean, everything was... <laughs> I couldn't resist, honey. <laughs> she didn't, actually. She's very positive, actually. Very strong supporter. But anyway... Uh, I'd done all that. And now, when I'm feeling so alone in this thing, and I don't know who I can talk to, and who, you know, who might try to stop it, I needed prayer. I just needed prayer. And when I asked for prayer, of all the people I get, is the very person who actually believes all that. And when she did and explained what she had experienced, it was such a strong confirmation. Yes, I'm on the right track. You see what I, you see the impact that it had? So I needed, I like the way God works, don't you? There's a way to do things. What would have happened if Grace opened her mouth too early? At best, I wouldn't have received the strong confirmation I would need at just the right moment. And at worst, she could have stirred up a hornet's nest to fight me, and the church would have experienced division like so many churches. Here's what she understood. It wasn't her job to lead the church in change. That was my job. It was her job to pray it into being, much like an Anna praying the Messiah into, into coming. Amen? And many others that he raised for that. God had already prepared somebody. Notice, we're not saying everyone has to believe the exact same way. No, 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 no. Did she believe the same way, yes or no? No. We're not even saying everybody has to practice exactly the same way. She was practicing these things at home or in, and in private. Um, 
What we're saying is God has ordained an order even in the church and he won't circumvent it by simply giving you or I a word in prayer. And now we think we gotta do something. So the question then is, then why would God tell someone in the church something which is contrary to the way the church believes or behaves? Because number one, he wants them to pray it into being. And number two, maybe at the right moment, it will become a strong confirmation. Uh, I like what Psalm 25, 14 says. Uh, and don't miss the word. The Lord what? And next verse, the Lord what? confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Don't miss that word confides. It means exactly what it says. It means he can trust you with a secret. When I confide in somebody, I'm expecting that they're not going to say anything about it. I received an email this morning. Uh, please keep this confidential. Confide. Is that true? That's what it means. He confides in us. And it means that uh, just because he tells you something doesn't mean he wants you to say something or that he wants you to do something about it. I'll give you a quick example from the scripture, a positive and a negative, and then we're done. Okay? Here's the first example, a positive example, David. And the king at that time was Saul, and Samuel was sent by God to anoint David privately because they didn't want King Saul to know it. God didn't want him to know it. And they, uh, they anointed him, and he was going to be the next king. You know what's so remarkable, uh, remarkable about this? is that in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. That's it? That's it? That's it. They just went about their business. They just went about their lives. There was no backroom plotting and strategizing of how they're going to knock off King Saul. In fact, the great, the great David stories happen after that time. Is it amazing that David, in whom God confided that he was going to be the next king, now lays his life down to go slay a giant that nobody else will touch? And he's doing it for the very guy that he is going to replace. And he goes into dangerous battles, and that's where the song ha happens, you know, uh, the, the hit song, the top ten, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands, they were singing it. That, that's when all the stories happen about Saul chasing David through the wilderness and wanting to kill him, and he's an opportunity twice, and his Christian brothers come around him, and they say, God has obviously led you to kill him. Because he's trying to kill you. He's, he's put him in your hand. And he wouldn't do it. That's what's remarkable about it. He won't do it. And he's not telling anybody else. He, the Lord confided in him and Samuel and his family, and they never said a word. Now, I want to co contrast that with a negative example from, from the Old Testament. Another young man. This young man had a family... And he had a dream one night. And in the dream, 
all the father and mother and brothers all bowed down to him. Do you remember that dream? What's the name of the young man? Joseph did not hold the secret. He went and foolishly told his entire family and heartache broke out through that family. I mean, there was so much unnecessary uh, jealousy, mistrust, division, bitterness uh, that resulted in all of this. God didn't need for Joseph to go tell everybody, did he? Was that essential? No. God could put Joseph up any time, and God proved it later that he could. He could even take him out of a dungeon. But do you see the problem with that? Now, we're, we've come to the end, and I want to close up with a weekly challenge. And I'm going to give you a minute or two right here, but look at the weekly challenge. Ask the Lord to show you where you may have a weakness. Is it that you're not spending daily time in the Word, saturating yourself in the Word, that He has already spoken? Or is it in asking for good counsel? Or is it in ignoring common sense and being drawn to the you know, the, the spectacular and trying to force God's hand? Or is it in submitting to human authority? I'm going to ask the, uh, uh, the sound pe uh, folks who help us so well if they just play a little bit of music. And I, I'd like you to take those four before the Lord right now and ask Him to reveal to you, is there, is there an area of weakness here? Then confess it to the Lord and begin to ask Him what are the, right, the steps that you can take to change that, okay? Go ahead and take a minute and do that. You can write it out in your journal or on your phone or whatever. Lord, thank you for this wonderful gift and heritage we have that we can hear your voice. Thousands of us here have heard your voice and continue to grow in this. And thank you for the cautions you give us, the parameters. Thank you for showing us where the ditches are. 
And thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you that you care enough about us, that you show us where we need to grow in. And we tell you today that we submit ourselves in this particular area, and we're going to take intentional steps to grow in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.